SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's a lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen and sometimes special guests. This week, we have one of those. It's host of YouTube's It's Okay to Be Smart and PBS Digital Studios Hot Mess, Joe Hansen. Hey, I, I'm I'm genuinely happy to be here. Not like even like pretend happy. <laughs> I'm genuinely You're happy smiling. to be here. I can't tell if it's a fake smile or a real it's one. It's real. But- uh, it's been reported that it's real. I fooled the humans. Joe, what's your tagline? <laughs> My tagline is, I am the Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, Ooh. We're also joined uh, on the science couch with Joe, Sari Riley. Hello. Do you feel like the science couch has leveled up a step? Oh, yes, 100%. <laughs> oh, wow, thanks. Joe's like Hank, but better is what everyone always says. Hank plus plus. Sari, what's your tagline? Blonde for two weeks. We're also joined by Sam Schultz. Hello. What's your tagline? Sun's out, Sam's out. Stefan <laughs> is also here. Hi, Stefan Chin. Hello. What's your tagline? Juicy fruit mongoose. Mm. What does that mean? Nobody knows. <laughs> Sounds tasty. And I'm Hank Green. My... 
the tagline is, the difference between up and down is left. Every week on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. We're also playing for Hank Bucks, which we have rewarded from week to week. Sam, I think, is still in the lead. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, Mm-mm. I don't know. Not no. anymore. You are now. <gasps> I had a very bad episode last episode, <laughs> and I lost a bunch of points, and you are one point ahead of me. Wow. So you have 40 points. I have 39 points. Sari has 33 Mm. That doesn't seem right. Stefan has 35. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Yikes. by all the statistical analyses, I'm bad at this game. <laughs> but you know what? Joe has zero points. We do everything we can to stay on topic here at Tangents, but we're bad at that, which is why we call it Tangents. So if the rest of the team deems a tangent unworthy, we will force you to give up a Hank Buck. Tangent with care, everybody. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem this week from Sari. Oops, we say when we spill some juice or find some poops our pup produced. Mm. Oops, there's molasses flooding the streets. Oops, that sinkhole is swallowing trees. But sometimes our messes are more than they seem. Oops is on oopses for centuries. Waste that builds up or oil that spills or space debris that orbits us still. So it's on us to make this our hill, to learn and to care for our home until our messes are less messy. That's what we can do. We're in it together. So, you know, Come through. Oh, nice. Very Let's sussy. come through. Yeah. I'm inspired. We should have put that on Twitter, and maybe everybody will be like, right, we should do something <laughs> yeah. about climate change. Sari fixed it. <laughs> fix the world. Yeah. <laughs> and at least we'll be on a hill for when the sea level rises. Uh, that's right. good, too. So, Sari, what's a mess? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, Googled science plus mess to see if anything would come up. Uh-huh. Nothing did. It's just entropy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like messes can be accidental most of the time but mm-hmm. like also intentional because I can make a mess on purpose yeah you can go and rampage and not are you mm-hmm. making a mess Please now oh, oh no oh. I make have to mess. pick that up but is that a mess <laughs> because I, I feel like if I have one thing that's out of place that's not a mess but if mm. I have clothes across my whole floor can't walk across my apartment then that's a proper mess mm-hmm. how yeah. many items constitute a mess I think it's like a per unit of area Situation. Yeah. And relative to the size of the thing that's making the mess. You guys ever look up etymology of words? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love it. So I'm super nerdy. So I looked up mess. And it turns out it was always just about eating. Like a mess was mm. just like a meal. Uh, right. Which is why soldiers eat in a mess, mess hall. Mm. And then apparently and then, somebody mixed something together to feed the pigs, and they're like, we're going to call that a mess now. And that's how it happened. So are we in a mess? Is the world a mess? Yeah. So like extending yeah. the, the like mess where like I'm going to step on a Lego out to sort of like the conceptual idea of a mess uh-huh. where we are in a mess. <laughs> this is a, a situation that requires action to get out of. Mm. It's just sort of like the general colloquial I like that. mess yeah. thing. That's why I think like the universe getting more disordered isn't really a mess. Right. Because we did all the stuff that we're in a mess about. The universe is just like being. Hmm. Yeah. So it's not so much an well, entropy thing. I feel like we're well-defined, which means that it's time for... <laughs> One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of them is real. The rest of us have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess which is the true fact. If they do, they get a Hank Buck. If they don't, the presenter gets a Hank Buck. This week, it's Sam, which I feel like you've put yourself in a situation where you're more likely to get more Hank Bucks. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Sam, 
It's time for you to present your facts. All right. On an unseasonably warm January day in Boston in the year 1919, a molasses tank belonging to the Purity Distilling Company recently filled to capacity with warm molasses, burst open, and let loose a wave of the sticky stuff that traveled through the streets of Boston's North End at about 35 miles an hour. Uh, It destroyed buildings. It hurled trucks around. It killed 21 people. (gasps) It injured 150 more people. And it killed, like, tons of animals and stuff, too. Horses. People talked about horses dying a lot in all the newspaper clipping. Yeah, Yeah, because they were, like, thrashing around, and it was apparently very horrible. Uh, so the distilling company claimed that the tank was sabotaged by anarchists, but scientists <laughs> hypothesize now that carbon dioxide rising from the warm molasses coupled with how badly the tank was built was what the thing was. Mm-hmm. So cool story, but that's not the only molasses-based disaster in human history. Ooh. So all of the industrial spills I'm going to read are basically real, but only one of them was actually a molasses accident. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. In 2013, an underwater molasses pipeline burst off the... <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going. Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> an underwater molasses pipeline burst off the coast of Honolulu, spilling thousands of barrels of molasses that smothered local fish and coral. Number two. <laughs> Uh, in 1800s London, distilleries all over the city were having a little fun and competing to build the biggest distilling vat. That all went terribly wrong in 1814 when somebody finally built a vat that was too big and it burst, uh, spilling 1,500 barrels of molasses and killing eight people. Or in 2000, a distillery warehouse in Kentucky caught fire, sending a flood of flaming molasses down a hill into the woods in a nearby river. No humans were killed, but 228,000 fish died along a 66-mile stretch of river. Mm, Wow. Which one was molasses? (laughs) Wow. So my big question here is, what is molasses? Okay. And why do we have so much of it? (laughs) Because in my head, molasses is like something you put like one teaspoon of into like a cookie ingredient. Like, why do they need so much molasses in Boston and Hawaii? Well, okay, I'll explain the Boston one, though. They, it was used for distilling. Oh, for like then making especially. booze? Yeah, and so they uh, the company was trying to beat prohibition, which had just which passed the day after the flood, I believe. Prohibition passed, and oh, then see. a year later, it was going to go into effect. Mm. So they were racing against the clock to get as much molasses as they could and make as much booze as they could right. before they couldn't do it anymore. So they filled the molasses tank up too high so because they were like, "We need to stockpile all the molasses before they stop the shipments." Yeah. Can you tell me what molasses is? That's a great question that I probably should have read a little bit. It's a byproduct, right? What? It's a byproduct. I know from this. Oh, sugar. Please. I grew up in a town called Sugarland, Texas. Uh-huh. Like they literally made sugar there oh it's not just because it's cute no so when you make sugar like from raw sugar it comes out like really brownie and you know kind of like brown sugar like Mm -hmm. you bake with and Mm -hmm. if you if you extract the brown part out of that it's sticky molasses and you get the white sugar crystals it's the brown of brown sugar raw cooked so it's all the flavor parts of brown sugar it's everything that tastes good about brown sugar yeah yeah Hmm. if you ever run out of brown sugar put molasses and some white sugar, but who keeps molasses around? (laughs) I actually have, weirdly enough, recently discovered that I have two bottles of molasses. So I should just get into the whiskey business, apparently. So what about the Hawaiian economy 
mandates <laughs> okay. <that they> pipeline <laughs> oh. underwater molasses. <laughs> this, something about this is true. So what do they have an underground pipeline of in Hawaii? Do they do oil exploration in Hawaii? Is that like natural gas there? What mm. is it pineapples? Underground pineapple <laughs> pipeline? Spam delivery. Oh. It's the spam. It's just like a pipe of spam. It comes from the mainland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, are the Hawaiian islands close enough together you that know, it's just yeah, easier yeah. to like lay pipe? And then you can like, sh- you you just turn a faucet on and it comes from the central like molasses distribution <laughs> hub, you know? Like right. pneumatic too. Yeah, like yeah. the pneumatic molasses, system. Just yeah. Like- for- Put your pancake under it. <laughs> so overview, we have 2013 underwater molasses pipeline burst off the coast of Honolulu. 1800s London distillery competitions ended horribly when 1500 barrels spilled. Or number three, in Kentucky, this was recently, flaming molasses killed schools of fish in the nearby river. It was flaming? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, how is it on fire? <laughs> you can br- catch pretty much anything it. on fire. You can try hard enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just increase the amount of... I guess it's it's sugar. Sugar is they flammable. Did, they did an oopsie and it got on fire. <laughs> just, just a little oopsie. Yeah. So the London one was people kept building bigger and bigger vats. That yeah. seems like a very human thing to do. Like, yeah. bet you can't build a bigger vat and then yeah. like, doing that to and the they're point they're like, of, so far, none of them have burst. Yeah. I'm going to go with the flaming molasses. Flaming yeah. Kentucky molasses. That sounds great. They definitely make whiskey there, so they would have molasses. And if molasses is going to be on fire, it's going to be in Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) I will, to diversify our answers, I'll go with vats, because I think it would be equally the other, the last two. I got to go with vats, too. It just seems like such a British thing to do to to have vat offs. (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine that there is an underwater molasses pipeline. If that's the real one, you deserve the points. So I'm going to go with the the London distillery competitions. Oh, boy. Okay. So it was the underwater molasses. (laughs) What? 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 I have so many more questions. <laughs> How? Uh, I couldn't find too many answers about why exactly they started this pipeline. What? But oh, but molasses is unregulated, so you can do whatever you want with molasses. <laughs> so Sam they is would, so but, far in the lead right now. So they would pump molasses from the molasses factory to tankers offshore. Oh. Um, and oh. nobody ever had to come see if this was okay or like if the pipes were in order or anything. And one day they just burst and killed everything instantly, basically. It cleaned itself up really fast. And the right. fact that there was sugar left kind of helped things come back. Huh. But like instant death for the coral and the fish that were in the area. Not a good way to go. No. Uh, boiling molasses, we've learned. I like still can't believe that there's a molasses pipe. <laughs> we like, all I would have like laughed <laughs> together <laughs> yeah. when you said that. <laughs> this is something that I should have known about yeah, the world. That there's right. this big it's there's the silliest thing to pipe around. I was just yeah, I was picturing like from island to island, but it yeah. makes sense to go out to a ship. Yeah, yeah. To boats. Ah. Uh so the London distillery thing, you I admit this is kind of a bullshit trailer fail, <laughs> but I found so many good messes. Uh, the London distillery thing was more, it was a brewery. And so they'd mm. build these big barrels, basically, or like distilling vats. And people would come from miles around to see their cool, huge distilling vats. And they just took it too far. And the uh, <laughs> best mess I'll ever. I'll come from miles around. I just need to see a bigger vat. <laughs> yeah, well, there was a TV the, back then. <laughs> the, the, the industrialization of our economy is amazing. I want to see a big, 
container. You could go see the giant vat and then get a bumper sticker about that. What are you going to put your bumper sticker on? Your horse? Your buggy. Yeah, your buggy. Or your horse. (laughs) They could brand your horse with that. That's how that. Oh, right, right. That's how that's the old old, uh, biggest ball of twine. You just pull up to it and then they burn your horse. (laughs) Instead of like press pennies, that's how you collected things. Your horse is in more and more pain. (laughs) Uh, And then the, the Kentucky thing was a bourbon. Uh, a bourbon storage facility or mm-hmm. an aging facility, and it caught on fire. Nobody knows how. It's kind of myster- it seemed kind of mysterious. Yeah. And the fiery whiskey swept down into the woods and killed a bunch of fish. Hmm. That one seems like anarchists. Yeah, that's I like the idea that the anarchists were like, we're going to target the vat of molasses. That's the they, first well, thing we thought of. They said that they were trying. The company made it all up. But they said they were trying to steal the molasses because somehow you could turn molasses into some kind of, like, gunpowder or something oh. like that. Oh. There's some kind of munition you could make with molasses. Wow. But the court didn't believe them, and they paid $9 million <laughs> to oh. the victims of the molasses flood. As someone who lived in Boston for four years, I took a tour, and they were like, you can still smell the molasses around here. I don't know if you could. <laughs> I have a bad sense of smell, but— it was a big placebo effect because everyone else there was like, it does smell sweet <laughs> in the water, in the air here. So who knows? When go, you go to Boston, go, go sniff. sniff Boston. Yeah, go sniff the Boston. Don't sniff Boston. <laughs> when I was in Boston, even before I found out about that, I thought Boston was quite sticky. And then when I heard that, I was like, God, that, well, makes, that sense. makes sense. Now. Next up, we're going to take a short break and then the fact off. SciShow Tangents is supported by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. At a time when so many important conversations are happening in our world, your voice is more essential than ever. Skillshare offers creative classes designed for real life and all the circumstances that come with it. Break up your routine with spontaneous acts of creativity. Explore workshops, classes, and more. With new live classes, experience real-time inspiration with popular teachers along with other Skillshare members. Most classes are under 60 minutes with short lessons to fit any schedule. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com SciShow, and the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. Be one of the first 1,000 to sign up at Skillshare.com SciShow. Welcome back. Hank Buck totals. Uh, Sarah's got a point because of science poem. Nobody else has any points except for Sam, who has four. Oofa. <laughs> Oofa. A whole pipeline full of points. Yeah. 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 You're yeah them right delivering to straight from the big island of Hawaii to yeah. Sam's pocket. From the idiot factories that are your brains. Wow. <laughs> Sam, we just made some oopsies. Yeah. <laughs> you profited. You really did. Now it is time for the fact off. Joe versus Stefan. You're going to present two amazing facts. Facts, and the rest of us are going to decide which fact was the most mind-blowing. And we each have a Hank Buck to award to the one that we like the most. And we're going to decide who goes first by the person who least recently cleaned their room. Mm. Least recently? Least. Yeah. So whose room is messier, basically? I can't actually hey. quantify whose room is messier, but I know who least... Like, when did you last clean your bedroom, Stefan? Uh, I cleaned my whole place on Saturday because oh. I had some people over. I cleaned on Sunday 
for Mother's Day. Oh, oh nice. Not to place this in time or anything. Because you live with your mom? Yeah. Because I live with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, clean your room. I live with a mom, not my mom. Yeah. So I guess that means that Joe gets to go first. Okay, so in 1963, the Earth looked kind of like Saturn for just a little while because the U.S. government decided that it would be a super good idea to launch like a billion tiny copper wires into space and put a ring around the Earth. And they made a huge mess in the process. Spoiler. Okay, so if you go back to the late 50s, there are no communication satellites, right? Mm -hmm. We hadn't really figured out shooting stuff into space and not blowing it up. So for long-range communications, like all you can do is undersea cables or like some weird radio, but like the Soviets can cut your cables and Mm -hmm. the sun can mess up these long-range radio uh, broadcasts. So people had tried bouncing radio off the moon and like floating these big silver balloons and bouncing radio off that. And that didn't work because, of course, that's not going to work. And so one guy's like, we'll put a ring of copper around the earth and then we can bounce radio waves off it. And they cut these little wires just so they would be like perfectly little micro antennas. So NASA was basically operating under this idea that's like, oh, space is really big. We can do anything up there. It'll be fine. Spoiler, it wasn't fine. Radio astronomers are like, this is a horrible idea. The National Academy of Sciences is like, please don't do this. So, of course, NASA's (laughs) like, 1961, we launched the rocket up carrying these needles, and things immediately go wrong. It doesn't deploy the needles correctly. Nobody knows what happens to it. It's just floating around the Earth somewhere. In come the Soviets, and they're like, please don't try that again. We're begging you. You're messing up space. (laughs) Russia is like, America, you're being irresponsible. (laughs) And they're like... Well, let's do it again. Oh, yeah? So in 1963, they launch another one of these things, 20 kilograms of copper needles. It successfully deploys, and sure enough, they bounce radio waves off of these copper needles, send a transcontinental uh, radio message across the United States, and then, like, the next year, they launch the first communications satellite. Everybody's everybody's like, these things will just re-enter. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. No no problem. Not going to have any permanent damage. But they didn't realize that something called cold welding could happen in space. And all of these copper wires clumped together. And many of them have not re-entered. Like, they're a small percentage of our current space junk problem. But we absolutely left part of the ring around the planet up there orbiting the planet as a very big but cool mess. What kinds of messages are they bouncing off of these? Because I feel like if it's just this ring, like... You could pretty easily intercept that. Well, like, are these still, top secret? You can mes- make a coded message, though. Yeah, I guess Encrypted so. radio was probably a thing. I think it is. It still is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure armies know how to do this stuff. Yeah. But, <laughs> but once you put it up there, like, the Soviets can use it, too. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's a proprietary oh. system. Like, anybody can bounce a radio signal off a needle. Definitely. And this thing was going around, like, the north to south pole, like a vertical oh, ring around vertical. there. Because so, they wanted to use it for transatlantic communication to talk uh, to our allies. So they fused into, like, chunks up there yeah, that, like chunks. that can do damage to things that would hit them? Each of them was, like, the size of a postage stamp uh-huh. in length. And so in the vacuum cold of where they were in space, they just, something called cold welding, like metal on metal can just mm. fuse to each other up there in mm. the weirdness that is not being on Earth. Are what they, if I got hit by one? What would happen? If you were in orbit and you got hit by one, uh-huh. it would rip straight through your body Immediately. with no warning and you would be very 
hurt. You could be either very dead or very hurt, but nothing in between. <laughs> outside of that range. <laughs> this is basically why the United Nations like established rules for what you're allowed mm. to do in space. The, fir- the first thing when they were like, people were like, "We can do whatever," and the UN's finally like, "Okay, you can't." <laughs> we gave we you- thought it would be okay to just let you be responsible, and you proved us wrong. Is there just another capsule still up there with a bunch of these needles? Like, has that been? Uh, re-entry or burn up? We... Yes, the first one. They believe the first one might have fallen apart or or, or fragmented, and, and they don't really know what happened to those. Mm-hmm. So that might have been some of the ones they're picking up on radar today. They got like, hmm. special space radar to look for this stuff. I just imagine that like it just left the solar system, and like some aliens picked <laughs> it up, and they opened it up, and they're like they got glitter bombed. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it, we can't get these out. It's a pretty big mess. All over space. Is I don't it the it. biggest mess? No. <laughs> I mean, it be? maybe in terms of like square miles. Yeah. yeah. I want to reiterate that in the meantime, we have put so much more stuff in space <laughs> uh, that is up there. Like this is a small <laughs> fraction of all of the other space junk. Yeah. But it's the weirdest space. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan, that was a good fact. Can you do it one better? Uh, So my hot mess is about uh, the flushable wipes industry. (laughs) Oh, that's a really good one. It's a pretty big mess. Uh, So there's this team at Ryerson University in Toronto that had in their lab, they set up like a toilet with all like the piping that's attached and it flushes. And they wanted to test a bunch of different different like wipe products and things, some of which were flushable or labeled as flushable and see if they could be processed by like sewer systems. The two main things are like within a certain number of flushes, the product has to clear like the piping. It's like 20 meters of pipe with a couple like 90 degree bends. All the products did that. Like within five flushes, like everything was through the piping. But then they do like a disintegration test where they sort of slosh the water around in a box. It's all very specific, like the d- number of degrees that you tilt the mm, box to like, sure. so that it matches like what you would experience in the sewer system. <laughs> and so their standard was that it needs to disintegrate within 30 minutes to avoid having danger of clogging. And zero of the products oh, yeah. out of 101 <laughs> passed this test. I thought there'd be at least like one on the market maybe that would like actually, actually do yeah. the thing. But none of them did. It makes sense. I hadn't really thought about flushable wipes before looking into it for this. But like these are are causing problems around sewer systems around the world. So in Toronto, where the university that they did this test, uh, in the city of Toronto, they get 10,000 calls annually about blockages that are related to the flushing of various uh, (laughs) items that should not be flushed. And uh, have you all heard of the Fatberg thing? Oh, I just Googled Mm. it. I was like, we're going to talk about Fatbergs now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fatbergs are just like these giant thousands of pound collections of like grease and animal fat and these wipes and they get stuck together and they clog up sewer systems and they cost tons of money to remove. And also... Tons of just, like, life. Like, human beings have to go down there and spend their time removing a fatberg. Yeah. So is it the wipes that the, the fatbergs are coalescing around? Like, I, wonder, I think it's, it's wipes and other, just anything that's non-biodegradable. But I yeah. think wipes are one of the more common things that go down there. But, like, Q-tips, like, diapers, like, all kinds of things that people flush. What kind of toilet can you flush a diaper in? Like, some, like, rocket toilet? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't there, like, people who monitor advertising where people would get in trouble for saying these are flushable? They're flushable. You can flush them. They are (laughs) able to be flushed. (laughs) There's not, like, a solid regulation about it. It's just, like, there's this industry test 
that has a less strict standard to be able to say this is flushable. And it's like, it has to disintegrate within three hours or something, but they're hitting the systems in faster time than three hours. And so like, it needs to disintegrate faster to avoid clogging. All right, people, the solution to this problem, like a spray bottle next to the toilet, a bidet. It's called a bidet. Well, we're not all kings here. <laughs> <laughs> what are you spraying? You just butt, dampen that toilet paper that you already have in the bathroom oh. if you Ooh. need something soft and that moist. Makes, that makes sense. The toilet paper to- dissolves in Ooh, that dissolves too fast. Yeah. Double, double ply, wrap it a few times. Some quad I'm ply. Not, I'm never wiping again. Good stuff. I'm just taking a shower <laughs> yeah. afterward. That's the solution. All right. It's time for us to distribute our Hank Bucks, you guys. Ooh. I knew about both of these facts. I think I learned more from Joe because I didn't know about the two different missions and I didn't know that this is what spurred the UN into actually starting to regulate our space. What were they doing before then? I don't know, like solving smallpox. Keeping peace on Earth. Just minor details. (laughs) I also want to give mine to Joe. They're both very good facts, but I had heard of Fatbergs before. I think Stefan's done an important service for... The world. It's true. It's true. Stefan is a better service for people. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give mine to Stefan. Ooh, thanks. And now it's time to ask the science couch. Uh, We have got listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds, which does not include me, which is wonderful. And that question (laughs) will be read to us by Sam. At the beekeeper Mm. asks... Is there any evidence in the fossil record of man-made messes? Will things like the BP oil spill show up in the fossil record in a few millennia? There, there will be, but like not a few millennia, like millennia of millennia. Uh, okay. It takes a long time for things to fossilize and for the ground to squish and find you know, create mm-hmm. those geologic layers. So go millions of years into the future, aliens show up. I guess they're geologists. And they start digging around <laughs> and figuring out what was on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, Humans have been around 200,000 years or something like that. Like That's going to be a paper-thin layer in the yeah. geologic record. Mm-hmm. But there will be some weird stuff. There is actually a mineral made from, um, like, all of the paint that fell at car at automobile mm-hmm. factories. Mm-hmm. I just Googled it. Fordite. Uh, Fordite. What? <laughs> Which will be compressed, and people will probably think this is some precious gem from, like, all of the layers of paint that went down upon each other and made these, like, oh, they're beautiful. Google mm-hmm. Fordite. One of my favorites is... So our cars have catalytic converters. Everybody uh-huh. knows it's a, it, it helps keep heavy heavy metals out of uh, out of the atmosphere. There's still a lot of heavy metals and, and pollution that comes out of your tailpipe, though. For they will see a <laughs> network of heavy metals, hmm. like a river system on a map of a continent, and not be able to figure out what was there Whoa. from all of the pollution that that gets distributed from cars on our highways and road systems. Hmm. My final favorite one. You mentioned geosynchronous orbits earlier, uh-huh. and those decay so slowly that it won't be a fossil like in the geologic record, but if aliens fly up to Earth and we're long gone, millions of years in the future, like they could very well bump into a geosynchronous mm. satellite that's up there today, and they could just be these weird like techno fossils orbiting oh, our Earth. They're so totally cool. going to be... There. Some of them probably already are techno-fossils. Yeah. <laughs> if we brought one down, we'd be like, look at this. Look at how they did this. What I thought was fascinating is just how many minerals there are that are either originated because of humans or, like, mostly because of humans. Hmm. But a paper in 2017 said there were 208 mineral species that 
were huh. because of humans in some way. Uh, How do we make a mineral? Yeah. Like, like on purpose? Yeah, on purpose or accidentally. So Portlandite, I think, is one of them. And it's a, a compound in Portland cement or concrete. Oh, oh I thought it would be fossilized beard wax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a lot of these are in like abandoned mines, like on the sides of the tunnels. Mm-hmm, They're just sure. mm-hmm. formations of like crystalline compounds that have a unique chemical composition and crystal structure that we just haven't seen before from the way like the tools that we've used to dig out these mines and the residues that we've left behind new compounds form Mm -hmm. that otherwise were unlikely to form naturally there is one that was formed in storage cabinets and museums which i thought was really cool called Mm. uh calcite calcite it's just this mineral that forms on rock and fossil specimens and pottery shards uh, in oak museum storage cabinets, oh, like specifically cool. oak. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that sounds very much like something that people who work at museums would figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they notice it. And it's like, what's this one of my specimens? I bet we can science that. Yeah. <laughs> so, will things like oil spills and stuff show up in geologic records, or I don't know about oil spills. There's not a lot of yeah research. I didn't find. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, oil is broken down by microbes mm-hmm. and like, hun- mm-hmm. I don't know why they would eat it. There's so many better things to eat. So that's how we, they clean up oil spills today is mm-hmm. with that stuff. It's right. those, it, it starts organic. It enters the chain of life a lot better than all this weird stuff that we're putting out there. Right, right. So the, okay. and the other thing that they talk about is for sort of like the definition of when like humans will be like very visible in the fossil record mm-hmm. is like a layer of radioactive materials right. because mm. we did a bunch of nuclear tests. Whoopsies. And all of a sudden there will be... on purposes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Not oil exactly, but some people think that there might end up being plastic conglomerates within uh, the fossil record. So there yeah. are these formations that are called plastiglomerates. Mm. They're like this new type of, in quotes, stone mm-hmm. that was found on Hawaiian beaches where it's like plastic, beach sediment, um, a lot of volcanic rocks like basalt and debris that when people make campfires or stuff on trashy wow. beaches, they form these mm. like stones, essentially, these very sturdy things. And uh, we're not sure what's going to happen to them over time because generally people think over like a lot of geologic time, plastics will be reduced back to oil-like uh-huh. compounds. But these conglomerate materials, we have no idea what's going to happen. Like they could get buried and over millennia of millennia huh. stick around in some way. I'm yeah. super not happy those exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the first thought I had was like, that's actually maybe a good way to like not have as much plastic floating around. Because if plastic's like inside of a stone, I'm fine with that. If it's floating on the surface of the water and looking like a jellyfish for a sea turtle eat, bad. So what you got to do is make more plastic rocks so it sinks to the bottom of the ocean where nobody can eat it. Can you throw it in a volcano? Throw it in a volcano. That's can, the solution. Can to you throw it in a volcano? You can throw pretty much anything. I mean, in a volcano. Cool. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. If you throw it in a volcano, it's practically the same thing as just lighting it on fire. We've come up with a lot of solutions here today. Yeah. Too bad we have more problems. <laughs> We've barely scratched the surface of messes at large. Here. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about the fun little messes. There's. Oh gosh. Oh boy. Let's not talk about the big ones. Just throw them all in volcanoes. Yeah. yeah. Can we throw climate change into a volcano? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can, like, cause the eruption of supervolcanoes so that ash mm. coats the earth mm. and then reduces the temperature. 
yeah. drastically. Volcanoes <laughs> seem to be the solution to all our problems, though. Yeah, Joe versus the volcano. You just got to get Joe to jump in the volcano. All the problems will be solved. Joe not jumps m- in the volcano? Not me. It's a character played by Tom Hanks. I know that. He doesn't jump in the volcano, though. He, he does he jump tries. in the volcano. And then the volcano spits him out. And then he floats what? home on his luggage. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> the heck? You guys haven't seen it. Joe versus the volcano is a fucking masterpiece. Oh. It really is. It is fantastic. <laughs> he has very nice luggage. The final <laughs> Hank book scores. It's important to the movie. Uh, <laughs> I am coming out with negative one point because of my Joe versus the volcano tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I was going to cut it out. (laughs) Sari has one point from your science poem. Joe gets two. Congratulations. Stefan, you got one point. Mm -hmm. And Sam ended up with four points, our leader, because no one could believe that there were (laughs) underwater molasses pipes. (laughs) I still don't believe it. If you want to ask your questions to the Science Couch, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at SensiBleb and at... Shaylin G and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. You can also tweet out your favorite moment from this episode, which will also help us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, you can just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Stefan Chin. I've been Sam Schultz. I've been Sarah Riley. And I have been Joe Hansen. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studio. It's created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our sound is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Okay, so you know that bone called the coccyx? Mm-hmm. It's a tailbone, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's called your tailbone because that's where a tail would be like millions and millions of years ago. But the coccyx gets its name from the Greek word for the cuckoo bird, which is coccyx because it looks like a cuckoo's beak oh, when anatomists wow. were taking people apart in ancient Greece. <laughs> and a French anatomist named Jean Roland the Younger uh, made a study of anatomy with a cuckoo call fart joke in it when he said the sound of farts leave the anus and dash against this bone and it sounds like the call of a cuckoo (laughs) (laughs) you got all the butts in there (laughs) (laughs) anus farts